0: To Catholic stuff, you should know, the J10 initiative. Glory to Jesus Christ! Welcome to Catholic stuff you should know. Glory to Christ forever. What is it? Close enough. Yeah, glory
1: forever. Glory forever. There's
0: different translations. I am uh, a little rusty here. So so is Goble, and I do it every single time. <laughs> Father John, Father Michael, uh, welcome to the podcast. Great <laughs> yes. to be together, brother. Hey, cheers. It is. Cheers. Well, uh Monday morning coffee here. Um, this is not your first recording since you've been back permanently. Correct? No, it's not. Okay. Um, yeah, it's been great. I got to record with the and, uh who is go- out fishing right now. So yeah. we're taking advantage to um, clean everything. So I just organized, <laughs> put everything in this random box. All of your cards, all of your boxes. He's going to be very upset because he's one of these guys who... Uh, it looks like chaos but he actually has an order in a system yeah. so when you when you move everything so you messed it up yeah I, moved, I messed everything up but it's it's at least the right angles now well he knows this well enough he's going to come down here and go oh Neppel was here exactly <laughs> it certainly wasn't me <laughs> did you ever see that conan o'brien skit stock and blocking no oh uh, you got to watch it sometime on youtube um he just does this fake german game show where um, you have to line things up at right angles okay under like <laughs> 30 seconds in his stock and <laughs> And uh, yeah, they they run out in yellow. That was just nine stock and blocking. So this is very stock and blocking right now. At least we're we're looking good. Was so. he In Germany, he's been traveling around a lot. I know Conan Conan O'Brien. Oh no, this
1: was like years ago. Oh. So yeah, he had some pretty funny ones in uh, Italy.
0: Yeah, yeah. So the uh, Gobbs is fishing. Uh, Father Mike it? is at a biblical conference. Yeah, that's right. He gave a big paper. Um, that would be a collection of super nerds, I'm sure. You Did know. you hear how that went? I haven't. No, As I haven't a, heard on yet. I don't know. No. no. Okay. But uh, that's, a big, that's a big kind of scholarly moment where these guys, you know, you get to share your research. And he was working on this word, parousia. You know, you take like one word and then they write like 700 pages on it. <laughs> yep. And then they do that for, you know, 70 years or something crazy. That's kind of how exegetes work. So it's a different world, but he's out there. And then uh, here you and I are holding down the fort, yeah. getting a uh, recording out here this week and then uh, heading to conference together. So next week we'll kind of all be together again for <laughs> yeah. another hoopla the foursome. the foursome but uh it was great to do that chef you won last week That yeah, was a lot yeah it was we've got a lot of really good feedback about that one including from him <laughs> yeah we so. heard uh heard from him he listened to it and uh yeah I, we just were just we were just getting started you know yeah i mean and we we talked for an hour and it's like we gotta talk we gotta talk for days about that guy and uh but it was a really great experience i don't think we've ever done that where we you just you're reflecting on different kind of it was like looking at things from different angles you know yeah. the perspective kept changing as every guy would talk about his experience and uh, on this one father and and great man so that was, that was a good one
1: you know it was something i was uh, thinking about afterwards is there was one story that we edited out afterwards like just thinking was that was that sharing too much you know mm-hmm. things like that and um i thought that was one of the fears i had going in is that there's something about Chaput. it's almost like one of those experiences where you have you know, this the, I'm greatly exaggerating here, but you have with God or with someone you're really, really close to it that you really just can't explain. Right. That people aren't going to understand it, or you just feel that there there was such a, a moment of of in, like intimacy that was also confidentiality right. to it. Yeah. Just basic story. So I thought there's so much I could share, but I just I don't feel like all of these experiences I've had. I mean, we, we say that even among the companions, all these experiences we've had can can make sense if they're shared publicly, yeah. um, because there's just something deeper that's there And so many of those moments. Happened with Chapu that I after we were done, I thought I didn't even share the the tip of the iceberg for what kind of what what that what he's done and what I've been able to experience of God through my
0: intercession, you know, from him with him, you know, things like that. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and it's just it was inadequate. In other words, it was inadequate. Um, it was an attempt, uh, but yeah, it's 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 interesting because it's like yeah, there's a lot of stories and a lot of things to share, and it's not so much like that they're like too private or. Or or like not appropriate, right. you know? Exactly. Like millennials exactly. we get blamed for oversharing, which right. is true. <laughs> which is true. Um but it's almost like and I was reflecting on fatherhood after um after we uh um were, were talking about him because things happen in the life of a son or daughter, um that they're so impactful yeah. that they they kind of like you just, like, it's amazing what I remember from 15 years ago. Right. Like, he laughed at a joke I made about the two endings of the Gospel of Mark when I was 19. Okay. (laughs) Now, why the hell would I remember that? Because it was so, like, it was so impressed, it was so, like, forced upon me, Mm -hmm. like, impressed upon me, like, this paternal love that, like, I can't even, I don't even know what the joke was, but I just remember that, I remember exactly where I was, I remember that experience, and it was just, like, being known, being received. It's almost like, um, moments of fatherhood—they define us in ways. Mm. It's like they—they they define who we are as men, and it's like a rock is thrown into the interior, kind of still lake of of your consciousness, and it just—it just ripples for yeah. so long, and then it ripples to the shore, and then back in. Yeah. Um, that it's like you can't even ex- you can't even begin to explain. Yeah. And I think that was with Garonski. I think that was with Glenn. I think that was with Shapu. And and it's also sad because uh, with the passing of those three guys, the moving away, we've been, it's been kind of Lord of the flies with the companions for the last few years, honestly. Right. And I think you get a sense from that listening to us and, uh, yeah. Yeah, it is. is, And it'll be interesting to see
1: how, how, uh, fits in with my topic, but you know how, when we are, (laughs) when we're all in our sixties, like what, what, will, what will the companions be when we have a bunch of young guys and we're the old guys? Yeah. Because right now we're all kind of the youngish guys. Right. what's going to happen when we're, when we're in our 60s and, and like the young guys and who are the mentors going to be is it going to be one of us is it going to be all of us you know what, what is who's going to take that on because right now you're right we've had you guys had Goronsky before my time here we all had Chapu you guys had Glenn before my time here so I, I don't I don't feel those as much but, um, but yeah
0: yeah and it's like what will happen when we hit past that point when we can't be young men with young men anymore yeah right. like right now we get to pretend like we're still yeah. young <laughs> Uh, just today we got this huge competition on strava global hates this but we're all fighting over who can climb up these mountains on bikes fast enough and uh there's been there's been a dethroning of uh, a certain brother um who had who was just dominating everybody but it's like some of these guys are seminarians and they're 25 mm-hmm. 26 and we can still do that as 36 year olds as and this once, guy's in his 40s, his 40s <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we got you know you're in your 40s. It's like, yeah. but when you get to that point where it's like, when you when you're just kind of the wisdom figure and you're not the, I don't know, you're yeah. not the relatable young kind of athletic, you know, guy who you can't. Then how do you relate? Yeah, and that was you know, these I, these I preached priests. on that
1: one time about about getting old and yeah. and I, I probably I was probably turning 38 or something. It was a couple of years ago, and I remember thinking there's so much about youth that is that is able to be given up for spiritual maturity. Yeah. I mean, we we kind of, when we're young, we need... I probably shared this before, too. When we're young, we need to be good-looking and athletic and funny. All these things that 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 don't really matter when it comes to holiness, but when we're young, it really does matter. We need those things. It's like with, with a parent with a cute kid. Like, the kids yeah. are so fussy and just annoying sometimes, but they're so cute. that it's just just like, all right. And then when the is the cuteness fades, you don't really need it anymore. So we don't need the youth anymore when we have a real spiritual maturity. And as the same pace, in a sense, the same pace that our youth fades away, our spiritual maturity should be growing so that we understand we don't need it anymore. You know, if we die in a hospice on our back, you know, we and we don't have our looks, we don't have our sense of humor, we don't have our you know, our our intellect is not as bright, you know, all these things are fading away. It's like we should be able to say, you know, in a sense, good riddance, you know, yeah. I, I don't I'm not clinging to those things anymore. I'm now laying on my deathbed and I'm I'm Christ is in my heart and I'm talking to him and all those things I gave up for something, you know, that 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 is the whole point of life, yeah. the union with God.
0: Well, folks, for those seasoned listeners, you know, this is not uh, the typical banter, Uh, so (laughs) (laughs) we're going deep quick today because, uh, well, because we have a a big, this is a big moment for the podcast today, so. So uh, uh, I want to do a podcast on obedience
1: um, because I am uh, trying to fall in love with Lady Obedience right now. Um, My bishop has asked me to move from Denver uh, to Los Angeles. And I have uh, four weeks to say my goodbyes and to settle everything in the parish and uh, to say goodbye to my my family, to say goodbye to the companions, um, uh, and move out to our Byzantine Catholic Proto-Cathedral in Sherman Oaks, California in Los Angeles, where I'll be assigned the next. Um, I've been here 14 years. I came here when I was 27, brand-newly ordained priest. Um, I absolutely love Holy Protection, love Denver. I never expected to have the companions. Um, it was something that God had shared with me when I was discerning the CFRs in New York City, and I, I almost became a CFR because I loved the community. And our Lord told me at the time that, you know, he wanted me to be a Byzantine pastor, um, but the community would not be something that was given. And that was the one thing that our Lord explicitly put on my heart um, was was you're going to have to seek and work for a priestly community. And so, uh, when I was able to to come to Denver and years into my ministry here, find the companions and um have that real rest. I didn't know how anxious my life was um trying to live out celibacy on my own, um trying to run a parish on my own. I didn't realize how how much I was carried by our lord and and you know came just so close to meltdowns and breakdowns and things like that until I was done with those and until I had the companions in that priestly community um and yeah and now now fourteen years later i'm uh, uh you know embracing obedience and and moving hundreds of miles away and and starting over again yeah. um so it's i've i've just i' I'm, I'm, I want to talk today on a lot of experiential aspects of obedience because that's what I'm doing here. Is I'm experiencing it. So I'd love, John, if you could give the <laughs> yeah. like, the, the the more dogmatic yeah. or systematic view of, of what what it is yeah. that I'm trying to embrace right now.
0: Uh, I'm happy to, uh, yeah, supplement. I mean, the, you know, the first thing is just um, we're still a bit uh, devastated and uh, saddened by the move. We're not terribly like surprised because we kind of. It was kind of like you've been on call for a couple of years, yeah. it's like you were Army Reserve, yeah, and it's like he could go to war at any moment yeah and um get deployed and it feels like you're being deployed, but the problem is you're not coming back, you know, like I got deployed for a couple of years to Rome and then but I knew I was coming back, and like this is like this is a milestone moment um and you are uh you But before the Companions, I think this comes out of your own family of like just being a man of communion. Everywhere you go, you build community, whether it's the Starbucks baristas or it's the cigar uh, bar or the um, jelly uh, for breakfast, you know, everywhere. Um, And then the Companions kind of, um, I think, received that we're enriched by it and, and hopefully purified it as well i think uh yeah. and so you've you've created this vast network of uh of uh of relationships and community and uh, i told you to parish yesterday i yeah. mean it's got to be an intense experience um so yeah, um, this is a a big moment, and uh, but it's also like even as we were just having coffee before this talking about it, like the way you're experiencing obedience is really interesting mm-hmm. right now, and I think that's the that's the most important thing. So I'll, I'll supplement yeah. with some thoughts, but um, sure. just to share kind of how you've walked through this these last few weeks. Yeah. So
1: even going back further, um, my my previous bishop um, came out to Denver and sat down. I. Had been, probably been to the parish about, you know, eight years, something like that. And he came out and he met with my advisory board and they pretty much said, you know, Bishop, we have a lot going on. We'd, we'd love to hear if you're able to share what your intentions are with our pastor. He's been here eight years and we know that's, that's a lot to some bishops. And and he just said, well, you know, as long as things are going well here and he likes it, I'll keep him here. And, um, but bishops change and our Lord speaks through them, of course. And, um, the new Bishop has been, has been uh much more vocal about the fact that that you know he he was kind of keeping me on my toes you know I I might move at any time so um you know to be vulnerable for a second that that really did bring an immense fear i mean i i had already joined the companions my entire family is here i have 13 nieces and nephews that i see every single weekend mm. um i was i became so settled and restful um in a good way sabbath rest um, not laziness, but a good way with with my life here. And I, you know, that there is a certain radical nature to the priesthood that I've always loved. And I think that my new bishop keeping me on my toes was a really good thing because it kind of kept me understanding, like, don't get too rested. You, you know, you can't. Um, but something that I that I've been reflecting on the past couple of days since I've known about this was I I started thinking that. That the companions was a alternative to celibacy, and I, I, I it, it's an interesting thing I want to keep on thinking about. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, if, if I mean, I, I'm sorry, alternative to marriage, mm-hmm. like, like a way of embracing celibacy. So if I can't be married um and have kids and have that community, the companions will kind of make up for it, which is of course not true. Um it 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 helps and it, it fulfills and, and it provides that priestly community. But the fact that I could just get moved so quickly and and lose all of that, it I just had to completely focus on Christ again, which is which is what seminarians do when they're discerning. Um and say, you know, you guys here in the Archdiocese of Denver hopefully will never I mean you you did you experienced being pulled away for a time you knew you were coming back. Um, but th- th- there's something. What is the role of of the brothers? What is the role of having community Wh- when when you're doing that while embracing your celibacy? And then all of a sudden, that in a sense gets wrenched away from you. And and God is at work, of course. Um, but I, you know, it, it was one of those things. I thought this was. I thought this was. I, I'm just being so ineloquent right mm-hmm. now. But I thought this was what God gave me. As a consolation to celibacy, and yeah. it wasn't. He gave me himself as a consolation to celibacy, and I was kind of putting too much—not not only the companions of my family, my friends here, um, all these things that I was—I was using as an alternative. It wasn't a dog. It wasn't Disney figurines. I mean, a lot of these things. Other other celibates just have a kind of try to make up for having a wife and family with. And I think I found what what is good, and it, it is good. Um, but it's just—it's made me kind of go a lot deeper with with what the role of community is, and then how that. Um, mediates and supplements the relationship of the celibate with Jesus Christ himself.
0: Yeah, I think that's key, Um, and I think that's, you just articulated, um, yeah, struggle and uh, something that we're kind of working through, you know, now that we're 10 years in, um, is to say, you know, what really is the nature of this? Because it's not, um, yeah, it's not just kind of this like supplement, you know, to celibacy. It's like, we're celibates plus right you know but it's not also not just like scaffolding it's not just this kind of in, non-essential thing that we kind of use to build um it's more than that as well mm-hmm. so it's yeah it's tricky to to try and articulate that um Garrett dean made this comment global and i were fighting about something on friday uh, during the board meeting and he goes you guys are like an elderly elderly couple and i was like <laughs> kind of but we're, it's more like the movie step brothers yeah. if you've ever seen that it's like these two idiots who just kind of hate each other and, and love but also love each other and um yeah the fraternal thing is uh living out fraternity in a fatherless culture um is as perilous as living attempting marriage a nuptial yeah. life uh in a fatherless culture yeah. and motherless also um but that's kind of what we're about, and yeah, the temptation is to just um yeah lean on these things more than they, than we should yeah. and uh and then inordinate sees be they develop yeah and uh and you' you you've all of a sudden become of like a very strong prophetic witness against that of like you could lose this at any moment, yeah, and uh you have to bid farewell to this, and you're still going to be in our life, but it's going to be very different, yeah you know
1: yeah the, the, there was and I'm still processing this has only been you know I got the letter three days ago, and I told the parish yesterday. Mm-hmm. I've known that it was likely for for about a week and a half before that, but um when I, when I told you guys, um, but the the another reaction like I had for the parish, and I told them this yesterday, it was almost like I've been a pastor for 14 years. And I, they're all I know. I got mm-hmm. ordained a priest and mm-hmm. sent here. These are the people that I've loved in my priesthood. This has been my community. Th- these people defined what it meant to be a priest and a pastor to me, um, and loving them is what it meant to be a priest. And, and uh, that is being, you know, changed as well. There's a transition. And, uh, and so I thought, you know, I feel like a parent— who is giving away their son or daughter to get married, you know? Yeah. And and you say, They're gonna, you know, Father Brian's gonna come in here, my successor, and he's he's gonna be taking care of my kids, you know. Yeah. And and, and it's it feels so weird to to have that happen, especially after so long, and this being my only experience of priesthood, that I thought, this is probably what a parent feels, you know, yeah. that dad walking the daughter down the aisle in the Roman church or you know, just what whatever that looks like when you're when you're giving your kids away and I'm doing it joyfully because of obedience, and I'm I'm doing it I I trust Father Brian. I've known him um, for a while, and but it's 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 odd, and so I'm saying you know all these experiences are interesting because this is what married people experience, and I I feel like I'm I'm getting a little taste of that. You know, obviously people in the military move all the time to get moved away from community. This is not something to feel sorry for myself about, but it is it is certainly an experience that I'm I'm treasuring as as I go along, and and going to say, okay, Lord, um, I have realized. But when I got ordained and and pledged obedience to my bishop, it's just like a couple getting married. I had no idea what it meant. Right. Right. Like, I was like, yeah, hell yeah, I'll do it. I'll do whatever you want. Jesus wants me to, you know. Um, But now I'm saying the obedience means so much more to me because I realize the immensity of what I'm giving up. Right. I, I I love everything I have here and I'm a happy person and I, I love it and so I'm sure I'll be happy in LA too, of course. I'm I'm don't want to sound all melancholic all of a sudden. And uh and when I go out there I'll build it back up and I'll love what I have, what our Lord gives me out there. But the but the immensity of what I'm giving up in a sense helps me to treasure my priesthood more again and say treasure the the commitment I made to be obedient and what that means. Um and then to to say yes, I, I love the community. I love the guys. I actually pushed back a little bit on my bishop when when he he said he was trying to kind of console me, and he says, "Well, you know, you'll have community out in L.A. too." And I said, "I said, of course, of course, and I'll be joyful and happy and thrive um, because you're doing you're doing your will and you're doing God's will." But um, I I quoted Bonhoeffer and I said, "You know, to I just need I need to remember as I go out there that." If you build community for the sake of community, it's going to crash and right, burn. Right. If you build community because of the love of the brethren, it will thrive. And just how different that is. You you have to, you build community because you love the people in the community. Um, and I said, that's what I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. I'm leaving the brethren that I love, and I don't just want to start community out there or join a community out there for the sake of community. Yeah. You know, And that, that that probably will happen, and the love might come later. Um, but there was, I pushed back on him a little bit. And of course, he just he was just kind of silent and and you know, acknowledged that that all of these things are sacrifices. And again, uh, falling in love with Lady Obedience is like Francis falling in love with Lady Poverty. It, it has to be something you're very passionate about, and um, and going with great faith and joy and and expectation and excitement. Even um, one of my friends that's not Christian asked me, you know, uh, do you do you know that this is God's will? Because he just he didn't quite understand the concept of obedience, and I said, "I don't know, I I don't know, but I know that it's bishops' will, and I know that it's God's will that I do bishops' will, you know, and and that that's all, that's really all I need to know. So yes, it is God's will, um, but I I know that my bishop, who God put in that place, wants me to go, and and he thinks this is what's best for me, and and I want I want what's best for him, I want what's best for our eparchy, I want what's best for the parishes and so i go but i it's it, that was a a consoling moment for me to say it is god's will that i follow bishop's will right now and i do so joyfully and and with glad expectation
0: speaking of francis i was just uh searching trying to find the image um that i love above the um above the main altar in the lower basilica of the mm. uh in Assisi, Yeah. the basilica of saint francis Have you seen the student I'm talking about? I think I've talked about it. We were there together, but I don't remember exactly what it was. So the the three evangelical councils are, Mm -hmm. um, as you're standing at the altar, you're looking up into the app. So you're looking out to the people, but above you is obedience and poverty and chastity, and they're all depicted in these frescoes that are um, the way that Francis lived them out. Mm -hmm. And I'm not totally sure – which was the order of the three things. But I do know that, you know, from the Franciscan mind, you're kind of got kind of a Franciscan soul, yeah. you know? You went to school there, and it's kind of in your... But poverty is always the foundation, mm. uh, and obedience is always the high point. That's mm. that's Franciscan, that's Dominican, that's the tradition of the Church, is that, you know, yeah. obedience is the highest because it's the renunciation of the greatest good. Mm. But poverty is kind of the the way that we think of the goods, the way that we think of... All of the councils yeah. is that you're renouncing. So there is a renunciation that you're going through. But the the line that you have said several times this morning that keeps striking me is the the immensity of what I'm giving up, or something like that, mm. is what makes this whole experience so so profound. It's yeah. like if I said to you, All right, "Give me that iPhone," you know, you'd be like, "I don't want to give you that iPhone." But it's like. But if I was like, give me everything you know and everything you love, because the deepest loves of your life, other than Christ, are um, your friendships yeah. in Denver. Yeah. So it's like, give me all that. And it's like, there's something so vast in that, that the grace is, is there to just do it. Yeah. And when we calculate, so much of our life is calculating uh, with God, with others, what can I give in order to get more in return mm-hmm. you know that's always how we're thinking yeah. how much do i need to pray in order to get what i want to get which is a <laughs> right. appeased conscience that i'm a good catholic yep. um that i get the blessings the privileges that i want whatever it might be um, and there's something about the immensity of this mm-hmm. ask so to speak this kind of calling up your own promise of obedience that says the, it's like impossible for you to calculate, yeah, and your bishop even tempted you to do it a little bit, not to talk bad, but just he was just like, oh, but you 'll stay connected with the companions right. oh you 'll stay in the podcast, and it's like no, you you won't yeah. in a way, I mean in another way we 're going to keep them on as much as we can, but you have to bid farewell to everything, yeah, and I think this is one of the only examples I can think where a priest who's not a religious would have to make such a profound and intense act of uh of just mortification of death to self uh death to self-will um in uh and saying goodbye to uh, everything you know the image i had yesterday was that scene from axe when he's leaving i forget which town he's at the he's at he's about to board the ship mm-hmm. st paul and they're just like grabbing his legs and <laughs> weeping and everybody's just like you know and that's kind of what what it's like but uh even this morning when I was um, thinking about you and, and praying for you a little bit, this is from Saint Augustine. This is one of his sermons. This is today's the feast of Saint Martha, and this is the, the church has us praying with this. But um, he says, uh, "We are our Lord's words teach us that we labor among the many distractions of this world. We should have one goal. So think of this in mind. Martha being kind of the model of action, mm-hmm. you know. So pastoral action." Uh, family, your jobs. She's the not the cont- contemplation, but action. She's kind of the image of that. But then he says this. W- have, we should have but one goal. We are but travelers on a journey without a yet fixed abode. We are on our way and not yet in our native land. We are in the state of longing, not yet of enjoyment. But let us continue on our way and continue without sloth or respite so that we may ultimately arrive at our destination. Hmm. It seems to me that the the sp- specific prophetic genius of the priest fatherhood is that it is a true fatherhood, but that it's within this larger ambit of traveling on a journey Mm -hmm. that we're not fixed. There is no, we're not fixed anywhere. Yeah. Our fatherhood isn't fixed anywhere. Um, and this is where it becomes really supernatural, uh, is that it's not a father would never give his 12 year old kids, 14 year old kids, just away and right. move on and start over, right. but you have to. Yeah, right? these are like preteens, middle school, freshmen. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's your community. Yeah, um, and there's something distinctive about the pilgrim dimension of a pre-spiritual fatherhood that really has to be lived out radically. And you can see why guys become pastors and never want to leave. Yeah, I understand. I mean, I've never yeah. been a pastor, but you can just see how deeply we get entrenched and we build our homes. And we we kind of settle our roots. It's in us to do that. But I think what Augustine's saying is that, and what you're witnessing to very profoundly right now for us is to say, yes, you set roots in relationships, but there's only one root, yeah, and that exactly. is Christ. Exactly. And we have to witness to that.
1: I, I I realize too, and that's exactly where those roots have to be. And two things, real quick. Um, you know, I was talking with with a woman who has had many miscarriages and has not been able to have a single child, and th- there was th- that can lead to so much despair. And I, I've had a, I've tried to walk with women before, and and men and, and couples when they have this because they say, you know, I cannot get excited for the next pregnancy because of the miscarriages mm-hmm. I've had. And then there's something about the 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 potential for despair that happens, and and yet, and this this sounds this sounds again tends to be, oh, sounds overly pious, but I think it's beautiful. And that's to say, like, you will see those children one day in heaven. I mean, that that's where, I mean, I, I'll be a companion again. <laughs> it sounds mm-hmm. so weird. But in heaven, I mean, th- th- there's always that hope, like, live a holy life, live a good life. And and we are pilgrims here. We are on a journey. And and there is, all things will be fulfilled there. All community will be fulfilled there. And we're trying to live that that little heavenly reality here on earth. But um, that is absolutely the case. Where we will, we will have that one day, and we we cannot let hopelessness and despair get us down, um, because we are on pilgrimage and we are we are constantly moving. And I forgot the other thing I was going to say. Hmm. My guardian angel took it out of my mouth.
0: Your phone's blowing up today. You are yeah, going to be. It is. I, I left a bunch of messages yesterday. The people that didn't pick up. So now, uh, now yeah. All and, yeah, yeah. I think the more that we talk about this and reflect on this, I am like, yeah, well, you are. Um, this is very unique because. Um, people who know and love priests understand um, the beauty of obedience, but it doesn't really get lived out that much. Uh, it's hard to see. One of the reasons we we founded the companions is because we wanted to create uh, a culture where obedience would be lived regularly. Yep, it's not just like avoid the bishop, avoid the bishop, avoid the bishop. Uh, I can't avoid him anymore. <laughs> Fine, you know, and then they drag your nails as they you know pull your body to L.A. or something. It's right. like that. And I think you've got that in the way that your life is lived as a business community, as a small community, where like you're actually living in obedience to each other, mm-hmm. like it's real, like pastoral obedience of them, but also your obedience to the flock. Everything is just heightened, yeah. but when you have 80 families or whatever, I don't know how many, yeah. um, and uh, and now with this larger eparchy that you're a part of, uh, where you could move anywhere in the, in the Western United States. Um, it's like you're qualitatively, it's, in, it's intensified in this moment in your life. And I think that as your brothers, we have to be very attentive to that and uh, to what the Lord's doing. But also, people who are listening, this is like, this is a very extreme and important moment yeah. of what obedience looks like because you're never going to see this from your diocesan priest who moves across town. Right. 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 Uh, if I can share two lines real quick on obedience that came to mind, um, both of which remind me of, uh, of you. One is from Balthazar, the second is from Goransky. This is from von Balthasar. He says, The priest can give truly convincing example and demand of others only what he himself has experienced existentially in this way, mm-hmm. in his obedience to Christ. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of times the force of priestly example or even the demands the priest put upon people in, in discipleship of Christ, mm-hmm. they don't carry. They don't stick. Right. Because they haven't experienced existentially in their mm-hmm. own walk of obedience. Yeah. So all that to say, you're going to be more credible and there will be a kind of a greater gravity. Um, and I mean that in a really good way, not in like a down way, but like uh, but just a, an intensity in the way that you invite others to obedience with Christ, because this is going to get worked into you existentially, yeah. kind of going through this. Yeah. And there's that's a really, yeah. I was going to say, there's
1: something, that I, I think I talked about this a little bit before, but there's something I, I was so attracted to about um, kind of, the end of the Lord of the Rings at the end of the third book after the ring's been destroyed, and J.R.R. Tolkien talks about the like the the various kings and various leaders, just all those in authority, and they have a certain weariness to them and because they 've had to experience so much, and they 've they 've carried so much weight on their shoulders and and not that I have that, but i I hope I do one day i mean mm-hmm. I hope there 's a a gravity to to my priesthood and to my pastoring that that has has kind of experienced those things so that not only can I can I say, oh, I've experienced something similar, which is always dangerous, of course, because right. every, it's always different. But there, there's a certain just a gravity to the experiences that God has given to a priest. But I love that because it's something when, when priests live out poverty, chastity, obedience, like just the mere fact that they're living that out provides a certain depth to to those who are also experiencing those things. And it's a gift given to us when we're ordained. Yeah. Um, you know, it's almost like in the Byzantine Church, when couples get married, they get crowned in martyrdom. And yeah. they have not died martyrs yet. They haven't even started, really. And so, but, but the graces are there from the very beginning. The graces are there for poverty, chastity, and obedience from the very beginning of our nation. And then it gets lived out, and, and the, the gravity of it, and the, even the weariness of it, the kind of exhaustion of this pilgrimage on earth, where as soon as we, we become more and more exhausted, is about the time that Christ, we're, we're about ready just to break, and Christ says, I'm calling you to heaven. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
0: Ideally, yeah, that is a sacramentally. That's a very uh, profound uh, symbol. I've only seen it one time—the uh, crowning. But I know all the kind of Roman oh, couples yeah. love it, and they're like, "Oh, we <laughs> want that," you know. Yeah. Um, yesterday, I was talking to a friend um, who is Catholic, um, but I'm not totally sure has ever like really been evangelized in the sense. That, and I was trying to explain the councils. We were talking about Becca, mm. Sister Annunciata. It's like, why would you do? Why would anybody do yes. this? And I just couldn't explain that it was grace. Hmm. That her embrace of the evangelical councils was a complete and utter and unbelievable grace. Yeah, Because she was as worldly as I was. Okay. <laughs> in terms of like climbing and arteric gear and everything. And hmm. she just immediately was just like everything was gone. And so, if you don't believe in the supernatural, and, and, and I mean by supernatural, I mean that grace is a reality. Mm-hmm. That it's an order. That it's, that it's real and it's effective then it's hard to even begin to think about, uh, you just can't explain what the councils are. Mm. And I hit that kind of impasse yesterday in conversation, but this there's a line from Garansky here to share about loving obedience. So not just sucking it up and doing it, but, but that choice to um, see it as an act of love. Mm. And uh, this is super deep, so we'll just kind of Uh, and I I think it's actually he's quoting Balthazar but this is Garansky so from his dissertation he says of obedience this is the passive work of Jesus in letting himself be interpreted by the Holy Spirit yeah let me say that again this is some deep stuff Uh, (laughs) so again the the background of this is we're penetrating into deep mystery here um, when we talk about obedience it's not just a lifestyle change uh, but we're, we're We're going right into the heart of the Trinity here, um, and we're seeing it in your life and your soul. And when we think of it like this, that obedience is the passive work of Jesus in letting himself be interpreted by the Holy Spirit. So it's Christ's existence in you being interpreted by the Holy Spirit in this particular moment. That's some deep... Oh, yeah. That's some deep stuff. I got to sit with that a while. Yeah. And it's very Eastern in the sense that um, it's about the Holy Spirit... Christ being passively interpreted, being passive as the Holy Spirit interprets his existence in our souls right now. So, obedience is just the letting be, letting these things happen. Mm -hmm. And so much of our life as Christians is about moving beyond the very superficial kind of constructs that we think of in terms of evaluating my relationship and my intimacy with God. Mm-hmm. Everything's according to my plan, my order, my structure. And do I like this? Is this the will of God for me? Instead of saying, everything that happens in my life happens according to the loving obedience of the Father. But if I'm in Christ, then something about this is that my existence is being interpreted by the Spirit as he configures Christ in this moment. Yeah. Whoa, deep stuff, right? Yeah. So, anyways, that was just and a And it little... points to the humility of Christ, too. I mean, in the fact that...
1: He 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 humbles himself in in a beautiful way without losing authority to someone who he loves, the Holy Spirit, yeah. who who is able to empower the body of Christ, who's made up of sinful human beings, and and kind of look at him from the outside. We got to be very careful not going to heresy here, but yeah, I mean it's it's setting aside our own will is so counterintuitive, and saying trying to do something that 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 doesn't seem the best thing for me is so counterintuitive but that just giving that up for the sake of someone else who who is is uh, given the gift and the 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 responsibility of of guiding the eparchy mm-hmm. and guiding our diocese and, and and putting people where they should be and and I mean I I fully believe that I somebody said this the other day I probably bond more emotionally and personally with my people, with my parishioners, than most priests do. I probably bond more with my priestly brothers than, than most priests do. I mean, right. within the companions, right. we all do it about equally. But um, so I, th- I think this is a this is an opportunity. Like I said earlier, Jesus is giving me to to say, "Yep," to spend a month heaping up everything that you're giving up. And then just hand it to me, and I'll crucify it to the cross, mm-hmm. and and then move on, and
0: you know thrive, thrive where you're sent. Uh, it, this is kind of morbid, but it's kind of like a dying man who says, "You yeah. have one month to live." Yeah, and you get to you get to love and be grateful for the month that you have, versus it would have been another August, yeah, and you would have been slogging right. to perish, <laughs> right? You know, working on whatever, yeah. and your people also are being invited into that, mm-hmm. like. There's going to be an intense movement of gratitude. Your common life with Gobel here at the Schloss, you know, this is going to be um, a privileged opportunity. And because it's, it's only in the face of death and of loss and suffering that we actually become aware of the things that we have. We just yeah. live without them. I've, already, I've been home a month and I'm already taking everything for granted, hmm. getting frustrated about stupid crap that doesn't matter. Yep. Versus five months ago, I was just longing for home <laughs> and all of that stupid stuff, you know? Right. And uh, so, there's a, there's a great privilege to that. I was going to say two things to your friend who asked, is this the will of God? Yeah. If that's okay. Please, uh. um There's a line that we say in the Companions. I don't know where it comes from. We got it through Bishop Cousins, um, but it's kind of a helpful, it was kind of a signpost when it comes to obedience. They say, the legitimate command of your legitimate superior is the will of God for yeah. you. That's just helpful mm-hmm. uh, in the sense that legitimacy is is conditioned. Yeah. But we see this, you know, Olmstead confirmed it. He's your legitimate superior right now mm-hmm. as the administrator of the eparchy. It is a legitimate, in, in terms of this is not coercion, this is not uh, intrusive, this is in accord with your um, with your promise of obedience, and yeah. there's nothing illegitimate about this. So we say, this is the will of God, yeah. because this is how he always has worked through the structure. Absolutely. And then the second point is to say, with that in mind, and I love this about the Dominican approach to obedience, and I talked about the, I've talked about this in the past, and I mentioned this to you last week, I was like, we don't have to agree with this decision right? right. to be obedient. Right. We can say the timing of this is horrible, the move is stupid, um, everything about this, the apostolate, the companions, this is just intellectually considered this is a very bad decision. Mm-hmm. We can say all that, we can, we can, we can assent to that, and that's not in contradiction with being obedient. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think it is. I think in many ways it's a, very, it's a good decision, and I, I don't see, like, real intellectual conflict in you. Um, but it's nice to be able to say... Um, that does not matter. It doesn't matter if, <laughs> my, if I intellectually disagree with... Yeah. Uh, that doesn't block me. I don't have to say, this is right, this is perfect, this is, you know, e- easy. And it's like, well, it's not... Um, and again, I don't think there's a lot of contradiction... Uh, in terms of considering this intellectually in you, but just it's nice to be able to say that and say, yeah, and I choose this with my will because this is an act of love. And that renunciation of the will is what makes obedience such an, uh, it makes it the pinnacle of the councils because the grace of priesthood is the grace of obedience. Hmm. Just to say that very clearly, there's a guy named, a French writer named Nicolaus, a 20th century guy who said that, and I think that's true. The grace of the priesthood is the grace of obedience. They are coextensive because Christ's priesthood is uh, complete not just an act of his obedience, but it flows out of his eternal and perfect obedience from the Father. So it's, it, the priesthood itself is located in the obedience of Christ, hmm. which means that our obedience, which is located in our priesthood, is, is also located there. Yeah. And I think if, you, if we can just keep bringing it back into the Trinity... Um, These things, they find their true location and I think the the deepest sense of peace. And I I think that's a good transition
1: to say, like, I want to say to my future parishioners at the Mm. officially called the Byzantine Catholic Proto-Cathedral of St. Mary in Sherman Oaks. um, Like, I am looking forward to this in so many ways because of obedience. And there's something incredibly exciting about it um, because of obedience and the 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 kind of I'm not in control and whenever I have not been in control is when our Lord has done the best work. Um, So I'm I'm going out there with, with great joy, anticipation, excitement uh, to meet everybody out there and to, to shepherd them, to lead them, to listen to what Christ is doing, um, to see how they, how I will build and bring and receive community, but also how I will just be the the, uh, kind of being a pastor out there is, is the, the point of this, mm-hmm. you know, um, Olmsted wants me to, wants me to build up a parish and to start an outreach and things like that there, um, that is going to be, is going to be good and beautiful. And so I'm going with, with the greatest of joy. I just, I just need you guys to bear with me for a bit of mourning <laughs> as is good and, yeah. and proper and, uh, and necessary before moving on. But I, I do really look forward to seeing everybody out there to meeting my new flock. Um, Father Brian Escobedo is coming out here to Denver and he'll, he'll take over my flock. I, I've known him so long. I actually took his daughter to prom yeah. <laughs> back back in Albuquerque. <laughs> well, uh, it was her prom, and uh, very few people and, can say that. Yeah, that. right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I took my uh, successor's daughter to prom, um, but uh, but yeah, and so yeah, if you're if you're in LA, obviously come check out the Proto Cathedral Saint Mary's. The beautiful thing about this too is that it is the same patroness, yeah, Holy beautiful. Protection of the Mother yeah. of God. Um, the same patroness of both parishes I've been assigned to now as a priest, and my mom is very eloquent. I've always been protected by the Mother of God, by the Theotokos, and that will obviously continue as I as I keep the same patroness, even though I am switching states, switching parishes, all of that. So,
0: and I would just say to your people um, who are, who you are leaving uh, in Denver, your friends, your family, your parishioners, podcast listeners who uh, who have particularly kind of connected and identified with you, I would just say, um, yeah, I mean. This is going to be devastating for all of us, but the key theologically is to remember that because God is Himself relation, that relations are never lost when they're in when they're in Christ. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so uh, you might never talk to many of these people ever again, um, but but relations that are brought into the life of faith into the Trinity are they're never lost, and it's just for this period. Yeah where this journey continues. You're leaving the albergue on the Camino, and you're taking a different route, mm. um, and we bid farewell. Uh, and we'll see you. You know, We'll cross paths again at times, but it will never be the same, and that's okay, because we're moving towards that perfect, uh, eternal, eschatological goal, uh, which is the fulfillment of all relationships which were begun here. Yeah. And so nothing is lost that is in yeah. God. That's all I would Amen.
1: say. Amen. Thank
0: you for that.
1: I also think it's important just to say the podcast. We're not quite sure how this is going to work. Um, It's it's kind of up in the air. We're gonna. I'm going to try to record a bunch (laughs) before I leave, and we can space those out. I obviously will not be on nearly as frequently, which is understandable. And what the future is, we just don't know. But you guys have been very generous with me. I'm so honored to be on this podcast. Hadn't been invited on in the first place and i'm honored to try to keep something going as much as is possible as i share my experiences of of living out obedience i guess when i go and if i can get
0: back here to visit family and to visit companions maybe i'll get on every once in a while so we're hoping to have him on uh, whenever he's back and yeah we'll we'll figure it out from there but um it's been an honor. I mean, I it's so funny cuz I was uh I left for Rome and you started four yeah. years ago about this time <laughs> and yeah. here I am back from Rome and you're leaving and uh so but we uh we uh, we're going to try and record um a lot in the next month and then uh you'll be back. We'll yeah. keep we'll keep recording. You'll keep hearing that lavish <laughs> uh deep baritone from uh our Byzantine friend. And as I said, uh just last last point is that what you brought not just in terms of friendship is important but also just you've allowed us to, to reflect and breathe with both lungs, mm-hmm. bringing the Eastern uh, uh, Church into this conversation, um, and I think that's become very important uh, to us and to this podcast, so we hope to keep that going.
1: I was glad to share.
0: Yep. I got a lot of good feedback from Byzantine Catholics throughout the country, saying that new people were coming to their parishes, and, and they were they were learning
1: things, so I'm honored. Yeah,
0: Good, man. Well, I'd give a quick shout-out to um, uh, the team. Uh, we had our board meeting on Friday. We meet once a year and uh, fight about the sound quality and uh, you know what's the best kind of Chipotle burrito and then but we have a great uh, team of uh, people who help us out and I just want to thank them um, every week Molly Tynan and uh, Mike Kasberg make the podcast happen Molly yep. mixes it down um, puts a little subtitle on it and then Mike Kasberg uh, puts it up and then we have a couple other friends uh, Garrett Dean who helps us when we get in trouble uh, if anything legally <laughs> we got Mark Gallick who's helping us kind of look over the finances um, We've got Andrea Polito who does a ton of the just the kind of behind the scenes uh, work like that, and um, I'm trying to think who else. And then of Tim course Dana. Tim Danaher, yeah, who uh, fielding a lot of your emails and kind of keeping the communication going. So is that everybody? Yeah, I
1: think so. Uh, the four of us. So,
0: yeah. yeah, we're grateful for that. And then of course the hosts, this crazy collection of dudes uh, who will be missing you. And uh, but we know this is not the end. So, amen. amen. Yeah, I want to. I just want to give a quick shout-out to, uh, of course, all the companions and
1: uh, my parish here and my family. Uh, a, a quick shout-out, I, I I knew from the very beginning, I don't want to get emotional, I knew from the very beginning the hardest person to tell would be my sister. Yeah. Uh, so she was, when I went off to college, when I turned 18, she would have been six. Wow. And and I would call her every single week, and my mom would say, as a six-year-old, she would write out the conversation that she wanted to have, like pre- just preparation for a phone call with her brother. Wow. And then um, I remember when I first got ordained, I asked my family, I said I don't, I'm not, I don't think I'm that good at homilies. Just pray, pray that I preach well. It's like my, my first homily as a priest to my home parish, and I remember seeing her in the in the congregation, just like praying, like I, as I started the homily, I was like, oh my gosh, she's so prayerful. And then I've, I've been able to see her twice a week now, um, and I'll, I'll I'll miss that immensely. And uh, so I have I've everybody to tell my mother, companions, everybody. My my sister is just. Was so hard. Yeah. Um, so shout out to Teresa Gibbons. Um, love you, Teresa. Love everybody that I'm, I'm missing, but um, but it, it was the hardest because I think she's she's my only sister. Yeah. You know, four brothers, three brothers and a sister. Um, shout out to Teresa Gibbons and all my family um, who I'll be uh, I'll be missing as well. I got another month with you guys, so I will love you. And then my both my parents just retired, so
0: they can come out and visit me hopefully yeah. more often than not. So, all right, all thank you. Yep. Thanks. Uh, next week we'll be back at it with the uh, all four of the hombres together, and it'll be great, yeah. and then uh, many more with uh, Olaf in the next month. All right. God bless you all. Thanks. CatholicStuffPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.